0: I've got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to go from naught to 150 in 10 seconds? I have no idea who. It's a lady called Laura Jones, RVN. I'm going to get her on and ask her. Brilliant. Go on then. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Laura. Oh, shall I ask the important question, Mike, or will you? Well, shall we I want you to, into it? I wanted to ask the important question, but yeah, I guess, well, yeah, go on. I now I asked I ask
1: the last no, no, you, you
0: asked. No, no, no. Right? So you you, ask, you do. do it with
1: a lot more compassion than do. I do. I sort of blurt the question out.
0: Yeah, yeah no, it, but it, it's, it's probably the critical question that, that every listener needs to know
1: they're
0: gonna to need to know they're gonna to want to know oh, okay i'll 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 try my best you know we can we can always call call a timeout and re-record if necessary
1: we, we could if it doesn't if it doesn't work
0: yeah 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 i think
1: don't, so
0: don't be so, frightened don't be frightened laura uh, might, that's be very okay. gentle. okay I, I think so so um laura uh, there's a lot of our listeners are, are very keen to hear I and mean, you've been an rvn for for quite a while and you work at a a distinguished um, referral centre. But what most of our listeners, I think, really need to know is, what is your favourite bread?
2: Oh, that's a very good question. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I like a good, like, dark rice sourdough.
0: Oh!
2: With, like, some nice butter and a good bowl of soup. Especially now, it's the right time of year for it.
0: It is, isn't it?
2: Salted butter? Yes,
1: unsalted so. butter, or or here's a suggestion: unsalted butter with Himalayan
2: pink salt, grated on top. Well, that's a very bougie option. I quite like that one. Not that I've ever tried it, but I might now. It, give it a go. That it, sounds, sounds like it's life changing. Haylen is it Helen Mill? Who are the ones who do the um,
1: the posh salt? There's a Welsh company. has really posh salt, celery salt. All right. Um,
0: Tangerine salt. And- I've got some black Icelandic smoked salt in the cupboard.
2: I feel like my salt in the cupboard is really, really poor in comparison to yours. I need to like broaden my salt horizons here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you can't. Uh, you can't overdo it on the salt front. Well, oh, yeah. no, you can actually, can't you? Yes, no, you yeah. can. You can definitely. Yeah, that would be a bad thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think hypertension is one of the uh, key side effects, is it not?
1: It is, yes, of chronic uh, hypersalination.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it makes you thirsty. I
1: it's wine. Cheers.
0: You have a drink of wine. There we
1: go. Yeah, I like the idea How's of that. How's that peach thing working out for you?
2: I think it would definitely be better if I had some champagne in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm sorry, Laura, you you just wowed it. You just wowed anyway. Completely. No. This is
1: oh. veterinary ramblings for you. Why on earth, Laura, why on earth do you want to be a veterinary nurse? Sorry, I read that all wrong. <laughs> what made you decide to become a veterinary nurse, Laura?
0: I completely wrong, <laughs> Jeremy. <Julian. laughs>
2: well, initially I actually wanted to be a vet. Did you? I feel like that happens quite a lot, right? Lots of people decide when they're kind of figuring out what they want to do with their life and career at 16 because everyone apparently at 16 knows exactly what they want to do for the rest of their life. They go, Oh, I'm going to be a vet. I'm going to work with animals. So I started doing my A-levels. And then in the middle of my A-levels, I got really bad glandular fever and had to take quite a long time off of college. Mm -hmm. And so I was faced with the dilemma of, do I resit a year and then go to vet school? And in the meantime, I'd started doing more and more work experience to kind of bolster up my UCAS application. And in that time, I was working a lot with the nurses rather than following Mm -hmm. what the vets were doing. And until then, I hadn't really realised what nurses actually did until I actually saw it myself. That then made me realise that actually, I think that was what I had wanted to be doing the whole time. I just didn't actually know that that was its own thing. So I dropped out of my A-levels and got a job as a student nurse in a practice up the road and started doing my apprenticeship then and there at 17.
0: Good for you how did your folks feel about that?
2: Not great (laughs) they thought I was absolutely throwing my life away I'm sure and um, all I can say is I'm glad it worked out the way it did because I think if I had gone to vet school I I don't think well I know my career obviously wouldn't have followed the same journey as it has but i also don't think i'd have ended up with the same particular passions and interests and things as i have now
0: yeah hmm. yeah that's not... about
2: this like
0: oh, long story though is it julian we 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 hear this quite a lot from uh, a lot of the people that we meet and yeah. uh, it it's important to think to explain to some of the the non-vet people that listen to the show i, I sort of ridiculed julian a little bit there for Saying, you know, what on earth made you want to become a vet nurse? Yeah, very, very badly phrased question, Um, because there is badly phrased for a reason, wasn't it? Well, it was, wasn't it? Which which is why I'm giving the explanation that uh, there is this perception that the uh, that the nurse is not necessarily an integral member of the team. Most vets, of course, can't do their job without good nurses behind them, because of the role that the nurses fulfil, the responsibilities. And the skill sets that are particular and unique to the nurses that the vets don't necessarily have so um,
1: absolutely absolutely we, we, we are uh a vet alone and a nurse alone are, are less than half of the product
0: yeah very much so very much so. sorry you interrupted there
1: no oh. no i was going to say pretty much the same thing actually all right uh it's it's often perceived, isn't it, as a, as a second best. You wanted to be a vet, but you became a nurse. No, you wanted to be a vet and then you saw the light and became a nurse.
2: Yeah, I think that's a much better way of looking at it. I think if I had known to begin with what nurses actually did, yeah. and I'm glad that that's changing, but I definitely think that there's still quite a way to go in terms of public perception of our role. So I think lots of people think that being a vet is the only answer, but actually, when you really see what everyone in the different roles in the veterinary practice does, it was I always wanted to be a nurse. I just never actually knew that that's what it was called.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that um, with human nurses and with uh, and with veterinary nurses, they're really the people that that the patients, or clients, actually listen to. That they're they're the ones that get the information. Uh, as as a vet I can warble on quite happily to a client for ages, and then they'll go and ask the nurse what I meant. (laughs) What did he say? That's right. That that short bloke, what did he want?
0: Laura, what did he say?
1: (laughs) (laughs) He was going on about some stuff to do with my dog. I didn't understand a word of it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But that's so true, and I think that that's why, that's probably part of the reason why I love medicine so much, is because I get the opportunity to help clients with complicated diseases because I've worked in practices before where I've worked with specialists none of whom I work with in my current practice um, who've given clients like four-page novels in all of the detail of the pets like diabetes for example and the client walks out completely overwhelmed looking at this like stack of paper just going what do I do with this information but actually Mm -hmm. you then have someone like a nurse that can come in kind of break it down and have a chat with them on a level that they perhaps find a bit less scary, it really makes a huge difference.
1: You're absolutely right. They're they're an approachable person, whereas vets, I think, often aren't. Same as doctors. Uh, If you're going to see a doctor, you'll sit there looking a bit afraid in the chair and then you go out and say to the nurse, so, am I going to be all right or not? And they say, no. (laughs) And you feel feel comforted, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that doesn't work.
2: No, it absolutely does. I remember I was in hospital a few years ago and the consultant would come and see me in the morning and do their rounds and check me over. And then, like, the respiratory nurse would come and speak to me afterwards and I'd be like, oh, it's all fine. The nurse is here. Everything's great. I don't feel scared anymore.
1: Absolutely. Because you know you're going to get an answer from the nurse. Whereas the doctor would just say, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, I see.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ask the nurse. Yeah. Was this with your blood fever?
2: Oh, no, no, this was um, a really horrible chest infection on top of quite bad asthma. wasn't fun. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, try being the youngest person in the acute medical ward. Not very fun at the hospital.
1: Yeah. Try, try being the youngest person in uh, in your local drama group. <laughs> oh, no, that is, that is fun. That is no, a, not, not a, different that, thing. Yeah, a different thing.
0: thing. That is that fun. That
1: sounds I much think. more fun. <laughs> it, does, it is, yeah,
0: yeah. Even at his age.
1: Well, I am, yeah, absolutely. At so the, the grand old age of... I'm the youngest uh, member of my amateur dramatic group, so I'm often asked to, to play my own son or daughter. Quite, quite a strange thing. Like, are you an andram sort of person, Laura?
2: Me? Uh, hmm. you no, know, not as much. Definitely people in my family have, have done a lot with it, but I, I just don't have the time to kind of dedicate myself to anything extra remotely at the moment I think I'm already spreading myself quite as thin as it is to be honest
1: Uh, so stretching yourself what what, what do you what do you do is it
0: vet 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 vet
2: or nurse nurse. yeah a lot of it is well nurse nurse Mm. nurse 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 um so work full-time in practice still run like an educational platform outside of that for nurses do quite a bit of speaking and teaching Mm-hmm. And then around that, I also uh, kickbox and race motorbikes. So quite a lot. Well, <laughs> do, you, do you ever beat them? Well, the, the motorbikes. Also the, the motorbikes. They're quite fast, <laughs> aren't they? But I,
1: I, I could race snails and probably come in second or third. I could third
2: probably beat my 125. No, I probably couldn't, actually.
1: <laughs> so so you're, you're on the motorbike while you're racing other people on motorbikes.
2: Is that the thing, or...? It's um well it's drag racing mostly so it's like a pair going down the the lane. I my bike's being built currently so I'll be competing next year.
0: Wow, the Centipod, that's that straight line. Yeah. Where the lights go, tick 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 tick, and then yeah. it go, and yeah. then after after what ten seconds of mind-numbing speed and acceleration. You throw a parachute out the back and try and stop before you run off the end of the race track.
2: Uh, no parachutes on ours. Mine might be going fast enough to parachute. The cars parachute, yeah, absolutely. But uh, my bike will probably go about maybe eleven seconds or so.
1: Wow! And, and then you then you whiz off and
2: rush right, through the the, shutdown, you in the pits, cool the bike down, <laughs> get ready to do it all over again.
1: Wow! Well, great. I, I haven't. i will be, uh the. Uh, the, the, the courage to do that i mean I'll, I'll happily throw myself uh up a cliff and hopefully not hopefully not off a cliff but throw myself up a cliff but i i wouldn't have the the ability to ride a bike in anything other than a snail's pace anyway,
0: so what speed do you finish this is quarter mile racing isn't it yeah yeah so you start at zero
2: yeah
0: what speed do you finish the quarter mile at
2: uh it depends really so i'm not sure if well, we haven't finished building my bike yet so i'm not sure exactly what it will do but my other half he his i think his terminal like top end speed is about 152 153 miles an hour at the moment on his bike and he'll do that in uh eight point something seconds
0: that's that, that's it's downhill presumably Straight just flat right flat that, that's 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 um, almost as fast as speed skiers. Yeah.
1: Okay, I do that <laughs> on skis. Actually, when Mike Mike does or Mike used to do that on skis, that's yeah. fast. That's, that's, awesome. that's crazy
2: fast. It is quite fast, yeah. But I'm imagining it probably feels really like time stands still, and also it's over before you know it, all at the same time when you're actually doing the run. Have you done a run? Not properly. No. Not certainly not at that speed.
0: So you're building a motorbike.
2: Building it. And then the licensing runs are shorter. So I haven't done like a foot pass or anything yet. But yeah, that's next year's job.
0: So have you have you so the licensing run, so you have to presumably you have to prove that you can handle this machine down the down the strip.
2: Yeah, you have to launch, you have to do a 60 foot and then a half half of the track so an eighth of a mile and then they have to watch you then do a full quarter mile before they'll give you your licence
0: right and how far have you got so far
2: Uh like I haven't fully licensed yet because I have to do it on the on the actual bike I'm going to be racing on right okay I've just done a bit of playing around and that's all really we'll see hang on we'll come it'll be fine
0: lend you his bike
2: he could lend me his bike but uh it's Quite different to mine let's put it that way as in here's the front end of it looks a bit like a choppery like city up thing so yeah. he's doing 150 miles an hour sitting up with like the bars like this like eight hangers, not like tucked down I'm Mine's not going to be
0: lying, like lying across this machine
2: yeah I'm gonna be like lying across it flat he's sitting up like this having a lovely time
0: <laughs> okay wow
1: amazing and I, I couldn't do it so.
2: when, I, I, oh,
0: this is fantastic i'm loving this so wh- when are you going to do this when's when's your first launch for your pre-license going to be
2: well so the racetrack's just like closed for the season so the run what you runs start around february march time i think next year so finish the bike over christmas start running beginning of next year
0: right Come on, Laura, you're you're smiling and you're laughing and you're looking very confident and calm about this. Have we got a swan thing going on here?
2: I don't know. I mean, I've been, he's been doing it for a few years now and I crew for him. Right. When he he races. So I help him with the bike. I help him get ready for his runs. I'll like help him stage and get ready to launch and help him turn the bike around after all of the runs and you kind of naturally can't help but help with it and become part of like it's like a real family there everyone there is like family you become part of it and you just end up naturally doing it mm-hmm. and so many people I think have ended up have gone there with no intention to race and then seen everyone else do it and go no I want to do this actually so uh yeah I to be honest I actually feel like that's I'd rather do that than ride properly on the road because mm-hmm. I feel like you've got actually far less chance of coming off or being injured or anything, because you haven't got to worry about other people. Yeah.
1: yeah. So what you're saying is you do motorbike drag racing at 150 miles an hour, but it's it's probably safer than we think.
2: Yeah, basically.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm convinced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I know
2: I've yeah. probably That's really sold point. it to you at this point. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I can relate to that. And I think there's, there's a... Uh, You've summarised it very nicely there. I used to be involved with Speedway. Um there is a there is a yes, there's an, a competitive element there, but it's a supportive family all doing our our fun thing together. Yeah. And the exactly. smells and the noise and the atmosphere and uh it's it's sort of strangely supportive.
2: Yeah. And it's like, it feels like an escape. The main reason I feel like I love being there so much is because it helps me completely switch off from venery life. Yeah. Because I go there for two days, we stay on site, like we sleep in the back of a van on like an airbed, like with a heater and stuff. And you're just there, you barely get phone signals, so you can't really speak to the outside world. And you're just there with all your mates racing for two or three days. And then you go home back to reality again. Right. Yeah.
1: Like like any sport, any pastime, whether it's um, playing international tiddlywinks or um, or driving a bike at a stupid mile an hour, uh, it's it does take you out of yourself, doesn't it? Yeah. I, yeah sure. you know, when I'm when I'm climbing or swimming or, or, or canoeing, I, I'm just thinking about climbing or swimming or canoeing or, or canoeing down a mountain. I sometimes think about it as well. I don't do it, but um, it it it, does, it takes you out of Kind of work mode and i think we all need that because it's a stressful job isn't it
2: absolutely yeah
1: has it become more stressful do you think since covid
2: uh i think so i'm not sure if it's getting back to almost how it was but i i think on some level it's never going to be completely as it was prior to the pandemic i think it is definitely I feel like we're probably starting to get over some of the like acute strain on the profession that COVID put on us in terms of the emergencies only, the changes to caseload. I definitely don't feel like our staffing levels have have gone back to normal in terms of mm. I know a lot of people who left the profession during COVID or they got furloughed and then decided not to come back because the time off just kind of highlighted to them that the job was so stressful mm. that they didn't feel that they they wanted to return. Mm. But I think we're starting to get back to a nor- like normal or find a new normal. I guess is probably a better way of putting it. That's a good point. Um, but
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And we lost people, of course, through through Brexit as well, didn't we?
2: Yeah, and that and the two decided to coincide just to make things extra stressful for us. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> clients, I think, have changed though. Definitely, clients have become more more demanding. That's yeah. not me. maybe there's more demanding of me if you had a bad time, <laughs> uh, no not at all <laughs> I don't know
2: I work with medicine patients and you know sometimes we can see that our, uh, our clients are a little bit kind of more demanding just because these patients have quite complex diseases and we need quite a lot of information from them so I'm, I'm used to dealing with uh, the odd demanding client but I yeah I definitely think that clients expectations I think have increased I think the same as I'm sure ours have if we walk into our doctor surgery or, or whatever I, I think the pandemic's just changed everyone in so many ways that I think we all look at things quite differently now
0: hmm. that's, that's interesting you mentioned though that you you uh, work on um, on medicine on yes. medicine patients as opposed to and again this is for people that may not necessarily be the veterinary field as opposed to a more surgical um basis what got you into that what, what took you that direction
2: a complete accident if I'm honest with you uh so I mm-hmm. was working at a hospital uh, in Berkshire up the road from me like a GP hospital I was in a nurse management role there and I didn't feel particularly fulfilled anymore I felt like I'd kind of got everything out of the role, and I was starting to wonder if I'd got everything out of the profession. To be honest, that I was going to, okay. I knew I needed to change something. In my main interests before, then had been anaesthesia and surgery. Mm-hmm. There was a new referral centre opening up in Hampshire, uh, about half an hour away from me, and I applied for a job there. This was back in 2015, right. and they mm-hmm. are, they basically said we'd like you to work for us. Here's a list of roles that are available the only department that no longer has any vacancies are the surgery and anesthesia teams. Take your pick of the rest. Ah, okay. And ah. one of the roles was deputy head nurse of the internal medicine service. So I, I picked that one. Okay. And that was seven years ago and I've not really looked back since.
1: Wow. What do you find most interesting about medicine? Is it to, without, I won't put any ideas into my work. What? what? What do you find most interesting about medicine?
2: I don't know because I love all of it, but probably the complexity and like the problem-solving aspect, and also Mm -hmm. just the fact that no two patients are ever the same. Mm -hmm. Like even with the same disease process, the way you manage them could be entirely different based on kind of concurrent diseases or differences within that disease process.
1: Mm Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Isn't it? It's often a conundrum. See, I, I, I do mainly surgery. I, I do handle medical cases as well in the GP practice, but my, my real love is surgery. That's that's an instant fix, isn't it? And if it doesn't work, you pass it on to the medics and say, it's not not me, I didn't do it. But um, there's probably something medical going on, if you wouldn't mind just having a look at it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah so do you do you do your
2: own uh, own, own
0: appointments in the clinics then, Laura?
2: I do sometimes yeah I haven't done as many recently um purely because we've well to be honest the patients that I saw most regularly um sadly don't come back to see us anymore but um as in they've passed away and um but yes absolutely we we you know we do see appointments as the nurses in my practice so for you know, regular patients like diabetics, chronic kidney disease, uh, various different conditions, we'll see for follow-ups. We'll do things like their bloods, blood pressure, place okay. continuous glucose monitors, perform different diagnostics under the direction of the vet, provide advice on things like nutrition, medication, environment, lifestyle, that sort of thing. Mostly endocrine patients, I would say and kidney disease patients are probably the ones I see most often
1: Mm. and and they can be the most challenging can't they because really I guess what you're doing in most of those cases is improving the quality of life for whatever time they have left rather than curing them as such
2: yeah absolutely working with the families to just maintain quality of life for as long as we can
1: so here's here's an interesting question client says to you but what is quality of life How, how do you answer that it's getting heavy for a Monday evening,
2: isn't it? It is, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say that it's really the the ability of their pet to be able to live what they feel is a, a happy, well-rounded life, not just their kind of physical day-to-day needs, but, like, behaviourally, emotionally as well. So I tend to direct clients to places like lap of love or the how do I know if it's time resources not necessarily because we're making decisions about end of life because I think that if quality of life in my opinion is something that we should discuss earlier rather than later so that it becomes a normal part of conversation and we're not bringing this up at a time where emotions are starting to run high so I tend to direct them to that information not to make end-of-life decisions but so that they know what they should be looking out for and what they should be monitoring to see if there are any changes. So the usual stuff like eating, drinking, toileting, exercise but also things like how they interact with their family, play, uh, other animals in the home, expressing normal behaviour, that sort of thing. Hmm. It's interesting,
1: I it, it was a bit, um, a bit of an unfair question I guess and you, you answered you answered it very well. We're not marking out of five because I don't know the correct answer to it. But <laughs> the reason the reason I asked was because I had um, three conversations today about quality of life with owners and, and each one went a different way because mm-hmm. we're directed, aren't we, by by the owners to a very great extent. And it, it led me to, to reaffirm something that I've I've maintained for a long, long time that we don't it's impossible to treat a pet on its own. We're, we're treating the pet and only units, aren't we? yeah and we're we're trying to work out a best fit for for them yeah and that best fit may be to do absolutely everything that, that, that veterinary medicine can throw at them to get their dog or cat or guinea pig or hamster better mm-hmm. or to do as little intervention as possible to to to, to get it to happy. Um, happy state. If we can use that term, yeah. Um, and so we, we really just need to to be asking our clients what what they want, what their thought is. And, and mm. I answer that each time. Like the the client said, "You well, what? What? How do we measure quality of life?" And I always sort of deflect about, "Well, you tell me." <laughs> but actually, yeah. it is it is quite true, isn't it? They all have their own ideas, and there is no yeah. right or wrong answer.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like you say. So much of it is about managing not just the patient, but the whole situation and, and the family scenario and everything as well. Like there were some really, really good papers and they were published years ago. But it was some uh, studies that I think were done at the RVC, and it was the uh, apps that were used to assess quality of life in diabetic dogs and diabetic cats. And the, the clients were asked lots of questions about factors that impact quality of life in their pet. And the specific things that they were highlighting, actually most of them were not to do with the patient. They were to do with things like going on holiday, how they were going to inject insulin, the cost of the treatment, leaving the pet with friends or family, that sort of thing, the impact it might have on the client's social life. So a lot of factors that clients think of when they think quality of life are not always strictly to do with the patient themselves. And I think that's another reason why we as nurses... Can do so much to improve not just quality of life but also perception of quality of life by supporting mm. clients with things like that.
0: Hmm.
1: And I wonder if clients use nurses often enough for that.
2: Just a thought. I don't I don't think that they do. But I I also don't know if that's because they perhaps don't know that nurses are able to do those things. Because I think most people would think that if a pet has an actual disease, they would need to see a vet. But if their pet needed a post-op check or a dental check or some flea and worming treatment prescribed, they could probably see a nurse.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. That that that's, that's an interesting thing. Is that is there a way to sort of close that gap or or to to educate? Where where do we need to educate? What do we need to do to sort of close that gap and open open those opportunities up for both the clients and for the nurses?
2: I think it probably needs addressing on all sides in terms of the nurses, the clients, and the vets as well. Because I think perhaps the vets don't always know exactly how much they can ask nurses to do in terms of support. Right. And they may not always feel that they can delegate those things to a nurse, Mm -hmm. or it may be because the patient has an illness and they need to keep an eye on that case, it may be easier for them to continue seeing that patient back themselves. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of nurses that I talk to about things like this don't feel that they know enough to be able to have these discussions with clients. They feel like they need to know the ins and outs of all of the diseases to have these discussions. And like whilst, yes, we need to have an underlying like knowledge of the disease and how it's affecting the patient. A lot of what we're discussing with clients is just getting information which we're going to pass on to the vet and then providing them advice on how to make their pet's life at home better. And we can absolutely do that without having an in-depth knowledge of diabetes, for example. Hmm. And I also think that the clients need to know that that's actually a thing. So if they come out of an appointment with the vet and the vet says, OK, um, I, your cat's just been diagnosed with chronic kidney disease, we need to see them back in three months' time for blood and a urine sample for restaging, I'm going to book you in to see the nurse and they will take the bloods. Please bring in a free catch urine sample with you. And they'll also measure your cat's blood pressure at the same time. Right. So if the client's kind of told that the nurse can do those things, I think there's likely to be a higher uptake of, of clients booking in those appointments. Um, I think it's just about working as a team, like the client, the nurse and the vet together, all to improve quality of life for the pet.
0: You, you, you've covered a whole series of things there that, that mm. we've heard a number of times before. I just wonder what your, your advice or your take on this would be, because to a certain extent, in what you've just said, you could suggest that nurses are sometimes backward in coming forwards or that they could be coming forwards within their own team to say, I can do this there was a hint there of thinking that they need that you need to know all of the ins and outs of a disease process etc cetera, etc cetera, when possibly you don't because that's not what's required in that particular instance and probably you you, you were hinting there about something we've discussed many times which is empathy mm-hmm. and having that empathetic approach And um, is, is there anything what can we do to help nurses put themselves forwards into these roles, into the team, and and to enable them to fulfil the roles that you've just described more efficiently or more effectively or more confidently?
2: That is a very big question, and I think... You brought it up. I did, I know. <laughs> 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 I've made it up my own back here, haven't I? Your your <laughs> here. It is all my fault. It's a huge question. I think that it can be easy as a nurse, and I speak for myself here definitely, like thinking about kind of in the past for me, it can be easy to assume that because you're a nurse, you don't know enough to be able to do this, or you're not able to do this because you're not a vet and a vet vet should be doing those things. Mm -hmm. So I think trying to kind of break away from that and encourage yourself to kind of get get a little bit out of your comfort zone Mm -hmm. or to not feel afraid to speak up if there's something that you want to be doing or you want to learn more about Mm -hmm. because the only way that you're going to learn those things and actually get to practice those skills and develop them is by pushing yourself out there. And if you don't feel that you know enough and you feel like you would feel much more confident holding those appointments, if you learn a bit more about the disease process, either it's a good opportunity to do some CPD Or it could be a topic for a practice meeting or like a journal club or something like that. Or you could actually speak to your vet team about it, speak to the vet who's in charge of that case, for example, and say, oh, I noticed that you saw this patient coming back in for a recheck today. I'd really like to be involved. Do you want me to see them next time that they need blood so I can take them for you and then send the results to you? Mm -hmm. And for me, my case is, we have rounds in the morning with the with the clinicians right. and if there's a patient that's booked in to see me the clinician will talk to me about that patient and they'll mention any specific points for example that they want me to mention or find out for them so that helps me feel more confident with what I'm discussing because I've, I've had an overview of the case beforehand or I've spoken to the vet about it so right. if there's anything that that you know a nurse wants to know for example before feeling confident enough to do that clinic have a chat with the vet beforehand and just say like what do you think I need to know and what do you want me to find out for you Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is just having the confidence to be able to say yes I can do that and I think a lot of the time it's us getting in our own way perhaps slightly because of the fact that we feel like we, sh- we don't know as much. Mm. I definitely have always felt like I've needed to prove myself or like, oh, I feel good enough once I've done this course and once I've done this course and, oh, well, once I've done my top-up degree, then I'll feel like I'm a good nurse and stuff. And actually, all that happens is you do that and you go, oh, well, I know more now, which is great, but actually I don't really feel any different. And, and so what advice
1: would you give then, perhaps, to, to a, a younger nurse or, or, or a younger vet? Setting out and being afraid of, of being an imposter or, or being afraid of the workload and not being able to cope. I think. the subject, any subject, and advise <laughs> them. What, what would you advise them? What's their quality of life? Go and advise them that. Oh my gosh.
2: I think, in terms of kind of coping with the stress of veterinary practice, for me, I remember when I was a student always feeling like I had to prove myself always feeling like I needed to show that I knew what I was doing, show that I could already perform all of these skills really competently and that I knew what was going on with the patients. Like You don't need to. You're in a training position or you're new in your career or you're newly graduated. You're there to learn. It's OK for you to not have all of the answers. It's OK to say, actually, I'm not familiar with that. Could you please talk to me about it? Or actually, I could do with a hand with this. Please, would you be able to help me? no one is going to feel bad think badly of you people will be grateful for the fact that you've actually reached out and mentioned that it's something that you might need a bit of extra help with Mm -hmm. when I look back at my career when I was younger probably coupled with age right because I started nursing when I was 17 18 Mm -hmm. like I was basically a child (laughs) so (laughs) I wish that I had actually stood up and and kind of verbalised more the things that I was less confident with instead of feeling like I had to prove that I knew everything. I think it would have made me a better nurse and I think it would have definitely have helped me kind of feel more comfortable in my role.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that is that growing up? You know, it could well
2: be. But I, I think... I think if I had started training at a later age, I probably would have still had the same battles. I still would have felt like I needed to. Oh, I've been joined by my cat, Nigel. Don't stand on them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, Who's this, Nigel?
2: This is Nigel.
0: Hello, Nigel. Uh-huh. Can you see your tail. For you All see. our listeners. Oh, he's handsome. He is handsome.
2: Lovely, Laura, lovely oh, black cat.
0: Laura has been joined by a lovely black cat.
2: He's slightly in the way,
0: but now trying to pick her nose with his tail.
2: <laughs> I'd have such bad imposter syndrome. no um, I, think I
0: I, I properly oh, there you go <laughs> <lady>. <laughs> I,
2: think it is. I definitely think the profession comes with struggles and mm-hmm. like, we all know it's a stressful profession to be in. but I also think that even in the 15 years that I've been in the profession so much has changed and now there's so much talked about that never was before and I think that's only going to get better
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So if you if you're writing to your 17 year old self, what, what take home points would you put in that note?
2: You're doing better than you think. Okay. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Okay. I think I'll probably be my biggest two. Yeah.
1: I, I think I needed to have got you to write a letter to my 17 year old self. I, <laughs> I wonder if you would have listened there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you like teaching?
2: I do. Yeah, I really like teaching
1: like teaching sort of hour-long sessions or minute-long
0: sessions or oh, oh, see what, <laughs> what you're doing here julian hang yeah,
2: on yeah, i see what i'm doing
0: i, oh, I see, see where you. this is going
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. um i have never taught a minute-long session before but i get the feeling that i might be about to oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh.
1: what you could try that's what about
2: it <laughs> that's
0: interesting because we have a section on veterinary ramblings called 60 seconds cpd <sighs> And you've led us straight to it. Amazing, Laura. How do you manage to twist the
1: uh, <laughs> conversation around to that? Did, are you up for the challenge?
0: Yes. Let's do it. I, I'm almost up for the challenge of getting the timer going, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's, it's only the 90th episode we're recording. We're not quite ready yet.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> Laura found that out right at the very start when that's right. <laughs> just the host hadn't turned up. Yeah. But we'll forget. We'll edit that bit out. We'll forget all about it. No problem. No problem at all. all okay. So, Laura Jones, RVN. You've you've come across the sixty second CPD challenge.
2: I have, yeah.
0: Are you up for it? I am. What would you like to do your sixty second CPD on?
2: I'm going to talk about nurse clinics for chronic disease patients.
0: Nurse chronic disease patients, right? Okay. So, Laura Jones, RVN, nurse clinics. For chronic disease patients, your one
2: minute starts now. Okay, so there are six things that we want to do to perform a clinic for chronic disease patients. Really simply, the first thing that you want to do is collect an updated clinical history. The second thing that you want to do is perform a thorough physical examination, so a top-tail to exam tailored to the individual and their different disease process. After this, we're going to grab all of the diagnostic samples that we need under the vet's direction, probably including a blood pressure and a dipstick and specific gravity as well if the client can bring in a urine sample. Next up, we're going to provide advice on medication administration, nutrition, hydration, exercise, mobility, environment and lifestyle at home and quality of life. And then we're going to dispense any repeat prescriptions that have been prescribed and book a follow-up appointment, summarise everything that's been discussed in the appointment, make sure we don't need to action anything with the vet before the client leaves and check that they don't have any questions. Is the time for
0: a wow. question? <laughs> Is
2: that 57 seconds, CPD? That,
1: that was that was fantastic. <laughs> now, what, why do you need to give an hour-long seminar when you've got that in, <laughs> in 57 yeah. seconds? Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic, Laura thank, thank you. you thank you that's very much good. that's one I, I, that's a hell of a summary yeah i think you included everything didn't you uh oh no you, you forgot to write charger
2: oh
0: that's brilliant
1: R- really good really good D- do you like doing client consults
2: i do yeah I, I really do i thought that would be one thing i never got to do in referral anymore but actually, it's something I think I probably do more now than I did before. Mm-hmm.
1: The nurses and, and, and vets are divided into those who do and those who don't like consulting. Yeah. And I think um, it's, it's a you know, 50-50 mix, isn't it, really?
2: Yeah. I used to hate consulting, though. When I worked in GP, I absolutely hated it. But I think it's just because I wasn't doing the right consults for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But that was... Excellent! Absolutely awesome. Yeah. Sixty second CPD. Um, I've got a certificate.
0: Have you? Yeah. I bet, I bet you haven't got one with a twelve hundred cc Bandit on it because one's a twelve hundred cc. No. i I've,
1: I've got that though. With a little moped with a
0: shopping bag
1: on it. <laughs> <laughs> now, sure. going at one hundred and fifty three sure. miles an hour. And yeah, do would
2: be that in seconds. That'd
1: be great. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, yeah. something. So there you go, it says, certificate of the need for speed. This certifies that drag racing is probably safer than you think. <laughs> this is at the bottom. yeah, r- Ronnie reckon. <laughs> there's there's a, a loaf of uh, of rye sourdough. Amazing, you there? It's your favourite. And um, look, this is the difference here between between medical nursing and surgical nursing. So here's this is uh, Markain, local anaesthetic, and there's a catheter. It's a fenestrated catheter. So. What I'm doing is putting that into a wound and injecting local anaesthetic into it. I can do that. What you nurses have to do as medical nurses is to try and figure out how these three-way <laughs> taps work. And that's, that that's been so can. many years. It's completely <laughs> impossible. You need a degree for that.
0: You
2: do. Um, you
1: do. And finally, of course, there's, there's imposter syndrome. There's, uh, there's me uh, imposterising myself as a clown. Uh, and i showed that to my very good friends Hole and k Cole, who were real clowns and they said no you're an imposter we can tell instantly you're not a real clown from that so true imposter syndrome there I oh, no. we'll <laughs> uh, but but if you uh if you download that and um uh submit it to, to the rcbs that'll uh, that'll be a full minute cpd
2: amazing i put that on my one CPD. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, no, it's not, is
1: it? What, what, what Julian? It, it's not really, it's not a four minute, is it? Because you got to... Uh... Oh,
2: 57 seconds.
1: You got to, No, you've got to reflect on it. Oh. So there's your extra three seconds.
2: That's great, I can do a three-second reflection. Wow.
1: Okay, do you want to do a three-second reflection on that?
2: Oh, did I just volunteer to do that on the podcast? <laughs> I thought you did. I, I, missed... I meant... on oh, I, I hear that? To me. I thought I heard it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I reflect on it and I determine that I missed... To mention charging, and that as nurses we absolutely should charge for our time. So next time I do uh, a sixty second CPD, I'll make sure I add that in. Okay.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well done, because your time is worth it.
0: Absolutely right. Yeah. So, have you got a reflection question for our audience? Something to reflect on um going forwards, whether that's related to the CPD or something completely different. What What would you like our, our listeners to reflect on
2: uh I'm going to share I think probably what's one of the most valuable things that I've learned and it's nothing to do with my CPD actually it's about life in practice more so I guess about like the imposter syndrome mental health side of things and that's to always think about what lies beneath the behavior or the words or the action that you're confronted with so if a client puts in a complaint about you don't just take that at face value have a look at what is underneath that If you're on the receipt of a harsh word from a colleague, have a look at what actually could be beneath that and what could have caused that. It doesn't change the fact that you've been spoken too badly. It doesn't change the fact that a client's put in a complaint, for example. But I find if you can try and understand what could be going on for that person or what might have motivated them to act that way, it makes it easier to understand and not kind of think too much uh, about the actual specifics of what's been said. So anytime that someone, I, like it's definitely not something I'm perfect at and it's always something that I will continue to practice. But it helps me not take like harsh words harsh words from a colleague on a stressful day to heart. So that's something I always try and reflect on. That's interesting. That's
1: empathy again. Excellent. Excellent reflection. It, it's difficult to do, isn't it? In the heat of the moment, and and uh, and a, a client or or a, or a colleague is is bad mouthing you. It, it's a difficult thing, a really noble thing, to be able to think they've had a bad day. They're, I don't know, they're, they're, they're mum's just being run over by vicar and a tractor, or you know whatever whatever can happen on a daily basis, and uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, and it doesn't like it doesn't excuse that, but it just helps me personally understand it. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's not about me. This client's put a complaint in because their pet's been euthanized and they're grieving, and they're angry because they're grieving. For example, like it just helps to rationalize it.
0: So to take a step back and put yourself in their shoes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the whole empathy thing. Normally, when that happens to me, it's because I've been a twat. <laughs> <laughs> and it.
1: But, yeah, but uh, we put our uh, hands up. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm swear I've done that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm going to try that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my my first boss said to me, "Look, you're not going to be able to please everyone." He said, "You do as good a job as you can, and you're not going to be able to please everyone because someone's going to come in and their car's just broken down. They've just been charged a thousand quid to repair it. They dropped a carton of eggs on the way out the door." And, you know, everything's gone wrong for them and yet you're another person telling them the news they don't want to hear at a price they don't want to hear. Uh, and he said, just you know, be content in your own mind that you've done the best job you have and you'll get it right most of the time.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, good advice, I think.
2: Yeah,
1: wise, wise, mm. mm. So I always wear a T-shirt saying, what, you're fucking staring at, you bastard. And that way... I think yeah it puts the clients on the right footing, doesn't it?
0: Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What? What are you saying? What? No, not. I think no. I'm not saying a word. Nothing. Zip. Zip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, twice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we 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 yeah, we love each other really. I can
0: tell. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> what what do you say what do you say nothing nothing oh, right. not say not nothing it's never changed changing the subject kickboxing yeah why
2: why not to be honest I felt like I needed a bit of a stress relief from work really? not like just from general practice life again I think it's similar to the racing like I needed some kind of escape some sort of outlet for, like, just an escape from, like like you said earlier, you know, when you exercise, all you're doing is thinking about what you're doing in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I had done various things before, like I used to be a runner, and then I got injured and fell out of love with that. And I just felt like I needed a new sport mm-hmm. to get into. And I wanted something that I could kind of progress in uh, and develop in. So Yeah, I went for a trial kickboxing session and then haven't stopped going since, to be honest.
1: Is it a sort of formally trained process? So I I, I did karate as a kid and you you go through the belt system. Is that the same thing with kickboxing?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I've got a grading in two weeks, I think, just under three weeks. So, yeah, we grade every two months and you you progress through the belts and things. And then as you progress, there's the opportunity to compete if you want to. But I don't think that's something I'll ever do i mainly just do it uh to as a fun way to keep fit and also to work on things like flexibility and balance and and stuff like that sure i'll
0: I'll scratch the question about what's it actually like to climb onto the ring for the first time
2: (laughs) absolutely no idea and probably not something i'm gonna do so
1: you don't fancy doing a uh, kickboxing demonstration at bsava congress
2: next year <laughs> i think there are probably a lot of people who are much better at kickboxing than me that could do a demonstration
0: there's that imposter syndrome again absolutely sounds like a yes to
2: me i'll put you well, down that is, that probably yeah. is, isn't give me a few more belts and maybe <laughs> yeah
0: the, you'll, there'll be never enough belts before no no this is this you've got to get this self-talk going this positive yeah. self talk this reaffirmation Stuff going. Remember that letter that you wrote to seventeen-year-old self. Yes, <laughs> I've
2: managed it with veterinary medicine, but not quite with kickboxing yet. <laughs> do you,
0: think you are <laughs> actually the one. The, there's, there's probably two people here you probably could get into a ring with with perfect confidence. Because
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, we we just run. <laughs> 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 My my karate days are
0: forty years in the past. <laughs> it depends but remember she can kick too. Yes. <laughs> Brutal.
1: I did. I did um, no, I did karate actually till almost brown belt level when I was very young. Uh, I was in. Um, I was in competition yeah. once. My my first ever competition. I uh, I was pitched against someone who was about six foot three. And um, and I kicked them in the in the face, or I would have done had they not actually moved aside at the last minute and I kicked the wall and broke my toe. And that was that was the end of that competition. Ouch.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure, sure you have got a brown belt for something different.
1: <laughs> I'd tell you what, I'd get a brown belt if I went 150 miles an hour on one of those motorbikes. <laughs> 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 so laura we, we've mentioned your website a few times and it is a very very glossy glitzy website with uh, some lovely photos of, of that uh, that that doberman um now there's an awful lot you can learn from your website but also you can people can contact you can't they via your website And that's uh, veterinary internal medical nursing medicine nursing.com I'll say it again, veterinaryinternalmedicinenursing.com. And they can can get a free guide to setting up medical nursing clinics in their practice, if they email you. Is that right?
2: Yeah, there's lots of free stuff on there. So there's the blog, which has got, at this point, probably about 80 or so posts of different things, like different medical topics. There's uh, a free resource library, free webinars. Uh, there's also a store that's got like some workshops and and things in there as well uh, if people want to take it further but there's also like a ton of free cpd on there for anyone who wants to learn more about medicine
1: cool or well, they can buy one of your many veterinary nurse pocket guides so okay. i particularly like the uh, the pocket guide to respiratory disease uh, and mike's got some pocket guides as well the all you ever wanted to know about capnography were afraid to ask
2: oh amazing there
0: you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's pretty what, what good the What brought the website about?
2: What made you do that? So, in complete honesty, uh, the practice that I was working in before my current practice made some changes to the structure of the nurses, and as part of that, med- the medicine nurse role went. Right. And along with that, my role kind of disappeared. So I've spent a few years at this point Developing this passion and this niche in medical nursing, only to then find myself not able to do that anymore. Uh, so, I wanted to try and find an alternative outlet for everything that I had kind of learned. And around the same time, I had done my VTS, and I thought, well, why don't I take the information that I learned for my VTS and put it out there for more people to learn from? So, yeah. It's
1: it's not all altruistic because there's a shop you can buy things from uh, but actually they're very reasonably priced and there's a whole wealth of, of, uh, of informational bits and bobs you can get from it so I'd strongly recommend all our listeners to go on to veterinary and have a look brilliant excellent stuff <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's I don't if we, if we can help in any way, then that's what we like to try and do. Yeah. Yeah. Makes so the world a much nicer place, and uh, we all we all learn stuff at all times, and when we've finished uh, chatting with you, Laura, this evening, we'll probably carry on and we'll learn more stuff as well. So, um, no, it's been very good. It's been a pleasure to meet you as well. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by the diversity in your life, Laura, between vet nurse, a bit of teaching, you've got your own website – And you're going to race 1200cc motorcycles.
2: I know. Well, I mean, I kind of ended up having to do it. My other half runs a motorbike repair shop from a workshop in our garden, so like, there's motorbikes everywhere uh, at this point in my life. So, if you can't beat them, you might as well join them. I guess is kind of the attitude I've ended up with. (laughs)
0: Yeah, probably would. But speaking of um, going fast and in time, I'm I'm ever sorry, Laura, but it beholds us to say that. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, don't forget to get in touch with us. And uh, please subscribe, because it really does make a difference and help. And you'll find us on all of the normal, regular channels where you normally download your podcasts, or, of course, you can check out the video. So, um, Laura Jones, thank you very, very much indeed for giving us an insight into your life. Yeah, thank you. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having me. All it remains for us to do is say thank you and may your dog go with you.
1: May your dog go with you.
0: Cheers. Cut! Yay! Yay! Ah, oh, breathe, you can breathe, man. you can breathe.
2: Yay!
0: Did you, have you enjoyed yourself this evening, Oh, like
2: I have, that? it's been a great laugh.
0: Good, you can
1: feel put on bit a under the spotlight a little pressure
2: too no not at all and it's nice to have like slightly more random conversations which I knew it would be right like I knew that was what was going to happen but like it's nice because normally you go on a podcast and it's like the same questions about only clinical stuff and it's nice to just have something more refreshing and a bit different